well, if they're doing this and it's working, why isn't everybody doing it? And I don't think that that's totally addressed here. Let's say, forget it. They have to, they're like the power company. We need them to remain competitive in the global economy, but they need to be very actively policed and regulated. Welcome to Behind the Idea, where we break down investment stories from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem to find out what makes successful analysis work. I'm Daniel Schwarzman. And I'm Mike Taylor. Today, we're looking at a shift in Delta Airlines' business model and what it means for investors. First, some background and a disclosure. Seeking Alpha is a website where investors around the world share their investment ideas and analysis. Neither Mike nor I have any positions in any company discussed, and nothing on here should be taken as investment advice. If you like what we're doing, please leave a review and subscribe to Behind the Idea on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Today's topic, airline expert Tim Dunn highlights Delta's focus city strategy and how it can boost revenues. The results have been meaningful so far as Delta's top and bottom line continue to fly higher. The theme of today's episode, in a slow-moving industry, how much impact can management's plans have? Mike, What's up with Delta Airlines? Delta. Here's what's going on. Focus cities. Uh, Delta is operating in a strange new world. It's had some solid operating performance lately, but it also finds itself kind of sandwiched in a weird spot. The low-cost carriers are bringing domestic air travel prices down. Uh, you know, airlines like Spirit are segmenting the product offering and chopping it up into little pieces, which gives price sensitive consumers a lot of choice in terms of how much they're going to pay for their tickets. Uh, and then short haul carriers like Southwest are kind of in the middle of the market. And that leaves legacy giants like Delta in a strange spot because they don't necessarily want to compete on price in those markets. So they need to find a new way to make use of their good assets. Long haul flights, the capacity to do long haul flights is one of the main advantages that Delta may have over some of the domestic carriers. So what Delta is trying to do and what Tim Dunn ex explores in this article is the idea that they can develop and tap underserved demand in cities like Boston, Cincinnati, and your alma mater hometown, Raleigh-Durham. Mm -hmm. Basically, that there's room for additional international travel in those spots. And if you think in terms of the global economy and, you know, poor Boston needs international service, they have a thriving business community. Delta right. can serve these business travelers who are less price sensitive and therefore grow revenues incrementally by looking at these cities where they already have some kind of toehold and just sort of expanding their offerings within those cities. The case Tim Dunn makes is that this, is, this has been successful and this is going to be successful going forward. So what do you think, Daniel, about this idea, this focus city idea and this idea of management having an impact in this sort of stodgy old industry? It's interesting the airline industry, you don't have a lot of choice. It is something of an oligopoly. And when that's the case, it's interesting to consider what sort of competitive moves you can make. 
I mean, everybody seems to race to the bottom and start to charge you the basic fee now, for example. You can get the lowest fare class, but you get nothing. You don't even get the chance to check in your bag, I think, or, or to carry on your bag, whatever it is. They, they really have pared back and made it sort of like the low-cost carrier's model where you pay for the ticket, then you add everything else you want on top of it. So that's one competitive move you can make. And the industry is... Delta founded the Spoken Hub model, I learned today in preparing for this podcast. And Proudly proclaim. Proudly proclaim it. They do. It's on the Delta Museum website. <laughs> There's a Delta, Delta Museum. Museum. And so they came up with that approach, which is the idea that you go, if I live in Boston and I want to get to Grand Rapids, for example, I go through Detroit or I go through New York or I go through so Ohio or whatever the case may be. And the idea is that that makes, I think it makes scheduling easier because for from the airlines perspective who knows how many people actually want to go direct from Boston Grand Rapids but if you can pool everybody who wants to go to one of those destinations and pool everybody leaving from those other destinations it's easier to distribute them and so what's interesting about this article is the idea that there's there is another approach which is not a hub we're not going to make Cincinnati or Raleigh Durham or Boston a hub but they're all independently significant markets and they can probably connect well with other markets. And so I don't know from the analysis, like what sort of routes Delta is adding. I don't quite get a sense from that. And I'm curious since my family's from Boston, I'd love to know where else they're connecting to for future events. But I think it's just an interesting sort of in-between approach. And when you're looking to, in a relatively commoditized business on the one hand, even though I think Delta for what it's worth, this is my personal perception, but I, I think it weighs out. They they have a good reputation as compared to United, especially, but also to American Airlines even, and uh, not South, Southwest is sort of a different tier. But you don't have much of a moat in that respect. And so when you're trying to, benefit and grow your business, I guess you have the continued growth of air travel overall, which might may or may not be faster than GDP growth. But other than that, you don't really have a lot of leverage. And so you have to kind of think of other ways to go. And so that's what's interesting that management's come up with a game plan that has allowed them to, in theory, I mean, they grew, their Q1 revenue growth was 8% and on a per seat basis, which is the the unit in the airline industry, it grew 5%. That's, you know, probably they got some pricing, but that's, that's pretty good at this point in the cycle, you would think. Yeah. It comes back to your kind of point. What can management do? And Tim Dunn does kind of put this question to the reader of, you know, is this just sort of shuffling revenue from one city to another? And how and your to your question of kind of what what's the advantage of doing this or what's the specific strategy? He mentions international travel specifically. Maybe I'm making too much of a thing out of that, but if Boston to Paris becomes a thing, or Cincinnati to Paris becomes a thing, 
then they can grow revenue per passenger seat mile based on selling more first class tickets. And then potentially they get revenue share with their partners internationally. If they, I, I don't know how that works, but potentially there's some other aspect there. Let's assume that that's kind of the game plan is to expand the service radius of these. So instead of these being spokes mm-hmm. versus hubs, they become sort of limited hubs. I think that's kind of what a focus city is that has some limited ex- extra reach with nonstop flights. Right. So there must be there must be a downside to this. I would assume there are two two downsides, and you alluded to Warren Buffett and his comment about the airlines, which is ironic because now he owns pretty much all the airlines. I, I don't think he owns United shares, but he definitely owns, as of the end of 2017, Delta, American Airlines, and Southwest in Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio. We edited this out of the intro, but Mike had said the following. Finally, the difficulty of running airlines profitably. I think it seems less true lately, but certainly airlines have the Warren Buffett reputation of never having been profitable since Wilbur and Orville took off in North Carolina. I also messed up my reference to United Continental. Berkshire does indeed hold shares of the company in their portfolio. Back to our discussion. The risk, there's a risk of competing on ticket price. And that's maybe what this isn't doing because you're trying to essentially open up new markets. You're trying to say, if you want to fly from Boston to Denver or Boston to Columbus, Ohio, or Boston to Pittsburgh or whatever else, some trying to pick non-obvious direct flight opportunities, we're going to open that up, which may, a lot of times you're going to travel that way for business. And so you don't have much choice, but you're then forced to go a long way around. You might pay up to get a direct flight. I definitely in certain cases, we'll be happy to take a direct flight over a slightly cheaper one-stop flight, depending on the logistics. So I guess you're either taking some share or opening up a new market, but there's still the risk of cost and then, or of competing on pricing, and then there's the risk of cost. I have to assume that the spoken hub model may or may not be perfect, but it came to such prominence probably because it is more cost efficient you you yeah. run the risk of capacity i think that's what it is is you run the risk of not filling your capacity and so you have to be right. confident that you fill that with that approach but what i also wonder about here is with a industry i don't think we've really looked at an industry that is so uncompetitive in some sense but then historically competitive in the u.s you're kind of United to pick on a company is the company that I think a lot of people say, oh, I'm never going to fly United again for one. <laughs> I'm pre- no offense. You hear to- that. That's Daniel's opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no offense to United I Airlines. Say that. <laughs> I, no offense. I just, I, I, I haven't had any terrible experiences, but it isn't my favorite airline. But then you kind of have to, you, you like the flights become really impossible anywhere else. I fly, 
to Europe and I have to go through O'Hare or I have to go through Newark and I just right. really, it's really jumping through hoops to go around it. And so I, I don't know, what does that mean for, like, how do you distinguish between, is it right what Buffett's doing to just, if you like the industry, own it? And how do you distinguish between the companies? Because they they all do seem kind of to be protected by some, whether it's barriers to entry or whether it's some rationality that they're not going to compete themselves back into bankruptcy or anything. I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you make of the airline industry in light of Tim's article? I'm glad you asked me that because that was kind of the direction I wanted to go next. I was thinking about, you know, we talked about risk kind of from the consumer perspective. And I think the thing you tapped into was this question of whether people from Boston are going to fill up the plane flying direct to Paris or Amsterdam. And I think that's an open question. You know, I don't have a view one way or the other. The other, but then getting to the industry, your question about the industry, I was also thinking about the competitive dynamics and the kind of games that airlines play with each other to be corny and go back to business school. We did a case study on signaling and anti-competitive behavior and Mm -hmm. You can't collude against the consumer in the United States, but an airline can signal its intentions to the rest of the market. It can raise prices on a certain fare and then see whether the rest of the industry follows its lead. And if not, it will lower the price back down. So there is some, there are ways to do anti-competitive moves without getting it together in a smoke-filled room and saying, you know, the, the Houston to Atlanta route is, uh, is up for grabs now, boys, or whatever, however these CEOs talk to each other. <laughs> Probably not like that. Uh, so, so all of that's a big wind-up to say, let's look at this from a, from a competitive dynamics perspective. If Delta has this in their slide deck, in their earnings presentation, that means that every other airline has this information now that this is the strategic plan to expand into different focused cities. And it's also Delta's being specific about which cities it plans to expand into. How does that work from a competitive perspective? Is, are they signaling maybe that, you know, with United and any of the other legacy carriers that we're kind of, we want the, the eastern one-third of the United States, and we're taking that. We're now going to add that, and maybe maybe the, the signal that the competitors pick up is that we'll just, we'll add service in some other part of the market. You know, if there's a signaling, there's potential that this is also kind of anti-competitive signaling. If you do believe that this is a message also for competitors, then like naming the cities that you're planning to enter and saying we're gonna we're gonna explore revenue growth in these, maybe that'll preserve your pricing power, actually. Cause it'll signal to the other airlines not to come in and compete in those cities, but maybe it also signals we didn't name twenty other cities in the US, we named three. So maybe it's right. there maybe it's a signal to divide up the map. That's totally speculation on my part, but we do know that airlines exhibit this kind of behavior. 
what am I am I out of out on a limb here? I'm probably out on a limb, but I kind of like thinking about it from that game gamesmanship perspective. It's time for some game theory. Um, I think it's. <laughs> I think it's no, I think it's plausible. I don't I don't know. I don't have a better answer that it's plausible. I think what you're saying is essentially you stake out ground and then to make a not crude metaphor but sort of silly it reminds me of reading about how Africa was divided up by European colonial powers and there was this sort of like all right, mm-hmm. you guys get that corner and you guys get that corner and hopefully we don't yeah. Or America was even. You like so Delta's got the British British part, and then you know whoever whoever follows up can have the Louisiana territory, and then we'll see. Yeah, which is sort of how it was historic. I mean, not by I don't think by design, but that's historically you had the regional airlines, right? To some degree, you had this article refers to Delta having Northeast Airlines, which I think was before we were around. Northwest Airlines, I think Delta bought. There, you know, Alaska and Hawaii you still have, but there used to be regional airlines. Yeah. Um, Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. airline. Midwest was great. I wasn't out to they the flew right to Milwaukee. They were they were Milwaukee Milwaukee based. I don't know who bought them. I think Continental, but anyway, it was a while ago. Frontier. My mom airlines. owned shares. Okay. <laughs> flew where did Frontier fly? It flew. We used to fly. There was like a brief period where Frontier Airlines flew from Manistee, Michigan to Milwaukee and then could connect to other cities. So we could actually cut out 40 minutes from the drive to the airport by just going to Manistee instead of Grand Rapids. Wow, that sounds so ecologically friendly. It probably isn't because those little flights probably burned up. Probably the worst. Yeah, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> okay, so wait, 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 let's get back to the we're until now we're gonna get back to the article. Okay, so you have these aspects. So whether or not you believe my take on the competitive dynamics, we're kind of neither here nor there on the consumer preferences thing. I think neither of us have really any additional information to bring to the table besides what Tim Dunn brought, which is effectively just this makes sense to him that there's some underserved demand in each of these cities and that will be incrementally positive for Delta and that things have been going well for Delta so far. So why don't we kind of come back to the, the main question of management has this strategy. It seems at least credible on some basic level. And I think Tim Dunn has done a good job of validating it and conceptualizing it and kind of testing it for credibility. Where do you think that lands us from the investor's perspective, Daniel? I think what he does a nice job of as what I would encourage as a takeaway, obviously you read this and you get a sense that he understands the industry, but he trusts but verifies, as it were. He actually goes, he, he's pulling Department of Transportation data to support the argument about how much revenue, the phrase he uses is, the revenue airlines carry from each airport, which is, I didn't get a chance to look at that data independently, but that's like, that seems like a pretty powerful and independent source of data. And so what I like about it is a lot of articles, a lot of investors look at the slides and say, well, that there it is. There are the slides. What else do you want? And it's valuable to, it's fine to start with the flat slides, but you need to go deeper. And I think that's what he does a really nice job of. 
And so then you can understand the strategy. There's some comments of, oh, this is how focus cities fit into the broader model of Spoken Hub or of airline routes or whatever else. But then to also say, actually, this is what's working. And you can start to see their revenue rank in Boston. They were number two in Boston, for example. Like You start to add these data points that will validate or disprove the thesis that this focus strategy is effective. And then from there, it all of a sudden becomes, it becomes easier to make your own independent thesis that isn't just management says this. And so if they're right, it's going to be worth X amount. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree that it's just an interesting spot. I think that at least from my process, I, they teach you to be skeptical of management and pick apart what management says. It's interesting that we've landed here with a really, what appears to be a fairly credible plan by management that's independently validated. I agree that it's unusual for us to see someone testing management's comments, especially when they're using slides from the slide deck, that they usually are sort of taken at face value in a lot of the things that we see here in a lot of Seeking Alpha articles. There's also a, a, a danger, I think, in terms of your investor psychology. I certainly am having problems with this in an investment I have where I believed management was effective at capital allocation and had a great strategic plan. And so far, it looks like none of that's really shaking out. I wonder if once you convince yourself that management's plan is solid, you need to also have a plan for how to update your beliefs, like what benchmarks does management need to hit for you to continue, for you to remain persuaded that this is working out. We had a submission come in the other day where this wasn't touched on as much detail, and I think it weakened the thesis somewhat. And so that's one, one cycle I've just been, maybe I've overcorrected in terms of my recent experience with having management plans go wrong, but I'm, I worry about that aspect of the story. I think it goes broader than management though, right? I think it's it's one of those just sort of irritating things to be judgmental about it, about investing is that it's almost like the more work you do to some degree, the more trouble you're in, the more you get wed to your position. We've talked about this, you know, yeah. going back to Chipotle and Bill Ackman being so public about his investments. When you're public about it, you then get associated with and you add your own audience costs and your own signaling and you are sort of committed to a position. So that's every time you kind of dig deeper, how do you leave the exit doors open or what signs you have that there is smoke in your thesis? I think I'm mixing a lot of metaphors there, but I think you're right. I think generally that's a challenge to nitpick the article. There's not a lot about, we sort of, this was where we sort of started was well, if they're doing this and it's working, why isn't everybody doing it? And I don't think that that's totally addressed here. Yeah. And so that would be where I would maybe want to hear more is, okay, this, right. is, this is cool, but it's not that hard to pick a city and start planning routes out of there. So what? why, why isn't everybody doing it? Sounds hard, it? though. It also sounds hard, doesn't it? I don't know. It, I see your point, though. Competitors should be able to do it. Right, yeah. It's hard for you and me. The Taylor Schwarzman <laughs> Airlines is not taking off from Boston <laughs> to Paris anytime soon. No, no. 
taking off from the three-point line, two-on-two basketball. <laughs> Let's shoot some hoops sometime, Daniel. Oh, man. I, uh, I try to emulate Steve Nash, but it doesn't go very well. So <laughs> I'm terrible. I, yeah, I'm a danger to myself and others. So I'm asking for it. Okay, uh, so so where we where does that leave us for Delta? What do we think about? What's our last take here? My last take is airlines should be public utilities regulated. If we have all this collusive, and this is I'm speaking as a consumer, not an investor. If we have all this collusive behavior, if the FTC seems to look the other way as these companies signal to each other about how they're going to eke out greater profits at the expense of consumers, and the industry has historically been vulnerable to great levels of bankruptcy, let's say, forget it, they have to, they're like the power company. We need them to remain competitive in the global economy, but they need to be very actively policed and regulated in a way that I don't think we're seeing now. I'm bitter. I'm bitter because I've had flights canceled, had the prices going up. That's my take. I Delta, so maybe from that perspective, if that's where we almost are, then maybe Delta is so worth, worth a closer look. I have weird reflexive anti-airline stuff from reading Warren Buffett quotes. So I'm biased there and of, of little analytical value. I think Tim Dunn did as good a job as you can do building a revenue growth case here. I'm concerned about cyclicality, which wasn't addressed in this article. Not that it needed to be. It wasn't what the article was about. But yeah, it's time for airlines to work for Americans. But yeah, <laughs> that's my take. What so about let you? Me, well, let me just build on that. I, something I thought about was, Airlines are probably top 10 most hated industry. Cable companies is another one that comes to mind. Cable and internet companies. I think cable and internet companies are good investments. Maybe as bad as this makes me feel as a person, the way to look for investments is to look for companies that are able to succeed despite their customers hating them. And if you have enough of a moat that people will keep coming back to, even though they hate what you are about... Maybe you're they hate investment. you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. All right, to be explored later, the most hated companies and why you should invest in them. The co- companies whose customers hate them the most. That's There's something to that, definitely. Yeah, we could probably sharpen. We'll have to sharpen that next time out. All right. All right, cool. Delta. Nice job. <laughs> I like Delta. I'll leave it there. I like Delta too. All right. Yeah. All right, Daniel. Okay. Bye, Mike. Bye. Thanks for listening to Seeking Alphas Behind the Idea. Stay tuned for next week's episode where we're expecting a special guest on Behind the Idea. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Thank you to the people who have rated us so far on iTunes. If you have the time to rate or review the podcast there, it will help us make this better for you in the future. You can also email me or Mike at Daniel at SeekingAlpha.com or mtaylor at SeekingAlpha.com or tweet us at at DanielSeekingA or at mbrookstaylor with feedback, suggestions, or requests for future episodes. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening and see you next time on Behind the Idea.